How is everybody? Good, good. Hey, I hope everyone got to come out to the, uh, the worship night we had Friday. We were on Cannon County Square. Yeah, wasn't that great? Yeah, it was really good. Uh, someone asked how many I had counted, and I was like, well, <laughs> I don't take the time to like count every head. Um, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood. We had about 2,500 people out there in the square uh, in Cannon County, and it's funny, when we did the one here on this square, which Kyle has to deal with most of this stuff, I just, I just show up and do the grunt work at, at worship nights. Um, Kyle, what do you need me to you know, move around? So uh, when we did the one in Murfreesboro, you have to go through all this red tape and codes and city officials and talk to the police department. It's this big like, process, because you know, we're a bigger city and all this stuff had to, had to be uh, kind of in line. You go to Cannon County and, and Kyle approached the city officials there and said, hey, we want to do this thing, you know, maybe, you know, 3,000 people in the square. And they just said, okay. And we were like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we just pulled it off. They were, they were wonderful. And um, just to tell you how wonderful they are and how easy it was to, to kind of pull that off and how God kind of worked it out, um, a bunch of the guys from Spring to Life, which is a rehabilitation center out in uh, Cannon County, a bunch of their guys showed up and they helped us and they were awesome and they were working their tails off and we're out there doing all this work out in the sun and they opened up City Hall and we all got to eat lunch in City Hall. And so you had all of us in there, we're all sweaty and gross and we're all just eating lunch in City Hall. And we were upstairs and we were sitting in the courtroom, which looked just an old courtroom in, in the City Hall in Cannon County. And we did what every you know, responsible adult would do. We pretended like we were on Matlock and we, uh, <laughs> we like pled our cases to the imaginary jury and you know, you know, it's just what you do. And um, that was a lot of fun. So that's one good story, right? Uh, we baptized 31 on the front steps of City Hall out in, in Cannon County, which is neat. Uh, the other fun story is uh, a great nonprofit that our church supports, uh, Special Kids. They just did their fundraiser on the other side of our building, uh, raised over $100,000, I think, which is pretty cool. Uh, very successful. So they, uh, they did that. I want to tell you my contribution to that, um, and I'm going to teach you a little thing about silent auctions. So I was walking out of the building before the silent auction started, and I'm like, I'm going to look like a really good Christian. I'm going to sign up for this big piece of art, you know, but someone's going to outbid me, but they're going to say, wow, Corey tried, you know, and so therefore I'm going to look really good. Uh, so I saw at their estimated value of the piece of art, and I went 100 bucks above that, thinking that someone else was going to, you know, beat that. Uh, no one else bid on it. And so I showed up at my office the next day, and I'm like, my God, I bought that piece of work. You know, and it's beautiful. It's huge. I don't know where to put it, uh, but it's this huge, beautiful piece of art, and I paid a lot of money for it. So, <laughs> so if you ever bid in a silent auction, one must be ready to assume responsibility uh, for what you bid on. So I learned a lesson there, you know? Um, anyways, it's beautiful, though. It's a great piece of art, and uh, I'm never going to let any of you touch it. So... Uh, so here's what we do. Typically at our church, we work through whole books of the Bible. So if you're new to the church, right now we're in the book of Acts. We're at the beginning part of it. We just got done with chapter three, and we'll start back in chapter four this coming week. We take breaks a couple of times a year. We do vision services, just kind of telling you where we're at as a church, where we're going, our finances, all that fun stuff. And then we take breaks for baptism services. Now, this is a big deal to us. The reason why this is a big deal to us is because Jesus gave us three very clear instructions right as he was ascending into heaven. He said, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. His three very clear instructions. So we take that literally. So we make disciples, we baptize people, and we teach them. That's what we do. So here's my goal with today. If you are in this room 
and you are not a believer, not a believer at all, A, I hope that you feel welcome. I hope you feel comfortable. I hope that something today encourages you and intrigues you and that you come back. That's my goal, okay? My second goal, if you are in here and you're a Christian, but maybe you were baptized uh, as a child and you don't remember it, or maybe it wasn't your decision, or maybe you're baptized and it was insincere and you've lived life a little like some of us have, right? Then maybe you would consider being baptized as an adult kind of under your own understanding, right? My third kind of objective is, if you are in here and you are a Christian, you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you love God, right? And if you have never been baptized, I want to encourage you to take this step. And so I'm going to do my best to show you some evidence from the Bible. I'm going to jump around, which is not something I typically do, but just to pull some evidence and some different stories together to present to you the importance and the significance of Christian baptism, all right? So that's my goal. You should have a notes handout in front of you. If you have a smartphone, the Uversion app, the bottom right button, click on that and then click on events. Our church will pop up. Everything's there, super convenient. And um, I'll be pretty brief today and in, in the hopes that some of you will respond to this and get baptized. I think this weekend so far, we've baptized 74 already so far this weekend, which is really awesome. And um, we'll see what happens at the 11 o'clock, okay? So I'm going to pray and then I'll dive into this, all right? Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I thank you and I praise you, God. Lord, uh, I know that there's two churches that are planting in Murfreesboro this week. I pray that you bless those churches. Pray that you bless every church in our community, God, every church in Woodbury, especially God, not especially, Lord, but our church as well out in Cannon County, that you bless that, that church plant and all the other churches in that area. God, we pray that you bless all the great nonprofits in our area. Lord, we pray that you open up our eyes and our ears today. Lord, let us look at the scripture, God, objectively with an open heart and an open mind. And Lord, I just pray that we respond the way that you want us to respond. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, God. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for Friday night. And uh, we just pray that it honored you and, and, and made you smile, God. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you know nothing about Christian baptism, let me tell you what it is just in a nutshell, right? This kind of sums it up pretty easily. Baptism is our symbolic and public display that we have accepted Jesus Christ, that we are following Jesus Christ. The Bible says this is where we become a new person, new man, new woman. This is where the Bible says we're brought to life. So we were alive physically, but we were dead spiritually. And through baptism, we are brought to life spiritually. Uh, Because I'm a very simple-minded person, right? The way I look at this is baptism is kind of like our wedding ring, right? So this is not my marriage. This is symbolic of the fact that I am married. That is not your salvation. It is a representation of the fact that you have been saved. It is a response to being saved by grace, okay? That's what that represents. So baptism essentially identifies us as Christians. It's the most evident, most visible, most tangible thing we can do to show that we've been adopted into the family of God. It should also mark a turning point. So there's different milestones in the life of a Christian, repentance, accepting Christ, uh, different things like that. And baptism should be one of those milestones to where after this event, we will see a shift in the way we live and the way we follow Jesus Christ. We should become in a more intimate relationship with Christ through baptism. So Paul writes this, having been buried with him in baptism, we're also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. So in other words, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that is alive in us and baptism is a process, a part of that process of receiving that Holy Spirit, okay? So again, I'm gonna jump around a little bit and I'm gonna use some examples. 
The first piece of evidence that I'm going to present to you, I think, is probably the most clear. Now, what happens was this. As Jesus is about to start his ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, right? Right as he's about to start his ministry, something happens in the way people have a right standing with God. So in the Old Testament, for people to have a right standing with God, it was, it was a pretty arduous process, pretty rigorous process. You had to sacrifice an animal. You had to separate the different parts of it. You had to pour blood on an altar. You had to do all these different things. And what that did is it just pushed sin forward. It was almost like a credit card for, for sin, right? It doesn't pay off the debt. It actually accumulates debt. And you push it forward, and you're going to have to pay for it later. That's what the Old Testament sacrifices did. Now, when Jesus comes onto the scene, the ultimate sacrifice, he is going to pay the ultimate price... And he is going to not only alleviate all the, den that, all the sin that had accumulated all the centuries before him, but he was going to open up the door for all those that come after him to not have to do this sacrificial religious practice, but just to repent and be baptized and our sin is remitted. It's gone, okay? So this started when John the Baptist was baptizing people like crazy in the Jordan River. He was paving the way, opening the door for Jesus. This guy must have had like a huge left bicep, right? All day long, he's just dunking, unless he was left-handed. Anyways, so all day long, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. One day, Jesus walks up. He kind of works his way to the front of the line because he's God in flesh. He can do that. Works his way to the front of the line, goes up to John the Baptist, and he says, hey, I need you to baptize me. Now, you can imagine John's response. John knew who Jesus was. And imagine if God in flesh walked up to you and said, hey, I need you to baptize me. John was like, I can't do that, right? I'm not worthy to baptize you. I can't even untie your sandals. I'm, I'm not worthy to do that. And this was Jesus's response to baptism. He said, this is the way it should be done to carry out everything God requires. What Jesus was essentially doing is he was telling John that this is going to be the example for everyone after me. So as John baptized Jesus, is Jesus was coming up out of the water. It says the sky opened up, the Holy Spirit descended down like a dove, and there was an audible voice of God that said, this is my dearly loved son whom I greatly find joy in, who I find great joy in, right? And so here's the thing. Jesus didn't have to be baptized. He had no sin. He hadn't done anything wrong, but he didn't get baptized because he just wanted to or because he had some kind of sin, he got baptized to set an example of what God wants from his followers. So we also see here that Jesus never does anything or he never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done first. Even if Jesus asks us to give our lives, he's already done that for us. So Jesus sets the example and we're to follow that example. That's pretty simple. Another thing that we see, another piece of evidence about baptism is that there's an activation that takes place in the life of someone who has repented for their sins and has been baptized. Now, we teach here that relationship with God is not just a moment, it's a process, right? It's a lifelong thing that we walk. And as we go through this relationship with God, we have ups and downs, but it, ultimately we draw closer and closer and have a better relationship with Him. And as time goes by, we become sanctified. That's a very fancy word by just saying it means that we, we are set apart and we are made with a purpose for God. 
And different choices that we make as Christians, if you give your life to Christ, different choices that we make activate different promises that God has for us. Now, you guys should all be scholars of Acts chapter 2, right? Because we just covered that. You're scholars, right? So if your friends ask you any questions, you know that chapter very well. And it says in chapter 2, I'm going to read you a little bit here in a second, that one of the promises of God is that if we genuinely ask for God to forgive us of our sins, and if we're baptized as a public profession of faith, that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a promise. And I'm going to read you that scripture, okay? So if you don't know the story, if you weren't here for Acts chapter 2, the church is birthed, right? The church comes out of what happens in Acts chapter 2. There was 120 Christians. They were all praying in this upstairs rented apartment building, waiting on the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit comes in, fills all the people in the room. They pour out onto the streets, and they start speaking in languages that they shouldn't have been able to speak. Of course, this draws a crowd, right? Imagine if all of us could speak Mandarin or, or Russian or whatever, and we pour out onto the street, streets speaking languages that we shouldn't be able to speak. It drew this crowd, and what happened was all these people who were drawn to this, Peter saw them, and they were hearing the message of God come from all these people, and they asked Peter, after they had realized that Jesus Christ was the Savior and that they had had a hand in killing Jesus crucifying him, they asked Peter the million-dollar question. They said, Peter, what do we do? What do we do? We now understand who Jesus is. What do we do? And this is Peter's response. Peter says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And if you do this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise. Peter said, it's for you. It's for your kids. It's for those who haven't even heard this message yet. And it says that Peter continued to teach them, continued to, to strongly urge them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. And this is very important. Those who accepted the gospel, look how black and white this is, or white and blue. Look at how simple this is. Those who accepted who Jesus was got baptized. It was very, very simple. And that day, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus and were baptized and the church there explodes, right? And so here's another thing that I want to encourage you about. And sometimes people get so uncomfortable talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are important. In fact, Paul said we shouldn't be ignorant to the gifts of the Spirit. So if you have been baptized, if you've received Christ as your Savior, if you've been baptized, you have the Holy Spirit, and there are fruit of the Spirit that we are to produce, Galatians 5, I believe, and there are gifts of the Spirit that God has given us, not for our glory, right, but to edify the church and to have a better relationship with Him. We should know what those gifts are, and we should pray that God gives those gifts to us as He sees fit. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, that's a great place to start when it comes with the gifts of the Spirit, okay? Now, my buddy Kirk, he uh, was a former elder at the church, baptizing his son Channing. That's a, that's a really cool picture. Another piece of evidence for why we should be baptized is Jesus instructs us to do this. Now, I might get a little snarky during this, so excuse me for a second. Sometimes it is simply about obedience. I don't know if you've ever met those Christians who want to do like acrobatic moves around certain scriptures to try to weasel their way out of doing certain things. If we're honest with each other, sometimes we're just naturally rebellious, right? We just want to kind of buck the system sometimes. And as Christians, if we are following Jesus, now this is groundbreaking, following means you walk behind and emulate the one in front of you. So if Jesus does something, we should probably do it. And if he says it, we should probably do that too. 
Now, though I cannot explain everything about water baptism, I know that Jesus did it and he told us to do it. Therefore, I know it's imperative to follow God's instruction. Now, I haven't told this story in a long time because it's snarky and rude, and I probably shouldn't, but here we go, right? So the first time I ever wrote this message, I'm sitting in Starbucks typing away. This is how I type. I'm typing away, and there were two seminary students sitting next to me. Nothing wrong with seminary. Seminary is a wonderful thing. But they were, you know, in their early 20s. They've never been married, don't have kids, so they obviously, you know, knew a lot more than me. But they were sitting next to me, and so I'm sitting here working on it. See, there was the snarkiness, guys. So I'm sitting here working. And they see what I'm working on, and one of them says, hey, I see you're teaching on baptism. I'm like, yeah, 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 I see you guys are seminary students. That's, that's awesome. And so he goes, well, do you really think you need to be baptized? And I was like, I mean, you know, Jesus did it. So, I mean, like, I think it's pretty important. Yeah. And, and so he goes, well, let me tell you why it's irrelevant. And he spent 30 minutes telling me why baptism is just not relevant anymore. And so I listened because I'm a respectful, nice guy. And so I listened. And when he got done, why are you, why are you laughing at that? Um, so, and so he got done with his big spiel and I said, hey, I'm just curious, like what denomination are you or, or what kind of seminary do you go to? And they're just like, well, we're Baptists. And I was like, and so the irony was just too much for me, right? You know, I, was, I thought I was in the twilight zone or my head was about to explode or something. I didn't want to get brains on everyone. So I'm like, hey, I, I, I'm just going to get back to work. It was really nice meeting you guys. And I went on. And so I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a product of seminary. I just have a, a, an English degree from a state college, right? Like, not, not the smartest guy in the world. But even when you get into the Greek, right? Even when you break it down and you break out your strong concordance, Jesus' final command to humanity before he left was, in my opinion, pretty clear. The Great Commission, right? Not just a commission, the Great Commission, the vision statement of Jesus Christ is this. Go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I taught you. That is so simple. And even when we study the Greek for the word baptize there, baptisma means to dunk someone in water. I mean, so even if we get into the Greek, it just, it just makes sense to me. And it's very clear. So I don't know how people can, can circle navigate around this. And so the bottom line is this though. Whether we understand it all or not, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. And so if I love Jesus Christ and he got baptized to set an example for me, I'm just gonna do it. Even if I don't have it all figured out and even if I don't have all the answers, I'm just gonna do what he tells me to do. He's God and he knows better than me, right? So another piece of evidence for why we get baptized is baptism is symbolic. There's nothing magical or mystical about the water over there. It's just Murfreesboro tap water, right? Maybe there is something a little mystical about it. Anyways, <laughs> the reason why we get baptized is it is symbolic and it symbolizes, it identifies us with the resurrection of Jesus. Sim, uh, baptism is beautiful because the symbolism of a fresh start is associated with it. Essentially, when we go under that water, we are dying to ourselves, we're being buried, but when we come up, it's identifying us with being resurrected, becoming a new person. Now, does that mean life is perfect? No. Does it mean you're going to have, you know, no wrinkles and a six-pack and your boss is going to be awesome and all that? No, it doesn't mean all that, unless you work here, but um, <laughs> it doesn't... <laughs> It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but what it means is your trajectory has changed. You're on a different road. You're on a different course. You're not a slave, like the last song, to who you used to be. You are a new man. You are a new woman. Paul says this, are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him in baptism into his death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we walk in a new way of life. Again, are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. But we understand grace. We understand forgiveness. We understand that the Father loves us and is quick to receive us back. We're on a different road and we're gravitating towards Jesus. For if we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll be joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know, I love this, that our old self was crucified. I would love to go around the room sometime. Those of you who kind of came into Christianity late in the game like I did, you ever run into those people that knew you before you were a Christian, right? And they're like, Corey? You know, like they, don't, like, they probably don't say that to you, but you know, they, they look at me and they're just like, wow, who, who are you now? You know, and it's just amazing though what God can do with us because the old self, the old Corey died in 2002. He's gone. And even when I give my testimony, it's like I'm speaking about someone else. And in a way, I kind of am. That person is gone and there's this new Corey because sin's dominion over my life has been abolished. Does that mean I'm perfect? No, but it means that I can overcome sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Since a person who has given their life to Christ and been baptized is freed from sin's claims. That's huge. So if you're at the worship night Friday, this is my buddy Jack. He's got a master's degree in the classical guitar. He got baptized at 68 at our last worship night out on the square. He played the Amazing Grace on the classical guitar during communion at our worship night. Good buddy of mine. So when we baptize people, we pray Jesus' name over them. And some people ask, well, why do we do that? Well, let me be very, very clear. There's no magical formula to baptism. I come from a denomination that believes that whoever is doing the baptizing, if they don't say the exact right words, that the baptism is null and void. And that's garbage, guys. That's not true. Romans 8 says no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand, right? So if you ask God to forgive you of your sins and you get into that water, nothing I say can either save you or unsave you. I don't have that power. Only God can do that. And your salvation is between you and God. So after saying that, though, I also want to say this. The name of Jesus Christ holds tremendous power. This is who our identity is with. And if you know no eloquent words, not just with baptism, but in your personal life, if you don't have a bunch of eloquent words, if you just say in Jesus' name, or if you just say the name of Jesus, that invokes the power of God and he shows up. So if you don't know what else to do, and if you're baptizing someone today, and you don't have fancy words, just say in Jesus' name, and that is more than enough. That is more than sufficient. And the reason why we want to be extremely clear with Jesus' name is because there is an identity crisis in our world right now. And the Bible says we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who've been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. There is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So we are so adamant about the name of Jesus, not just with baptism, but just in every form of our life, every corner of our life, because salvation only comes when we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. And we live in a world right now that wants to find its identity in gender or sexuality or occupation or success or a football team or, or, or your nationality or your skin color. We want to find identity in all of these other things. And we wonder why we're, why we're discontent. The reason why we're discontent is we're trying to find identity in all these things that are not God. Not that all those things are necessarily bad, but that's not who you're made in the image of. You're made in the image of God the Father, and we find our identity in Him. And if we find our identity in Him, we can find that missing contentment that so many people are looking for. 
This is a great picture. Uh, this is one of our elders at the church, Muhammad Shaban. Um, he's the one doing the baptizing. Uh, it's funny, he was a Islamic imam 25 years ago, and now he's a born-again Christian, and he's one of the elders here at our church. I love seeing people's faces when they're like, do you have elders? And I'm like, yes, and one of them's Muhammad. <laughs> and they freak out, and then I explain what I mean by that. So, uh, yeah, this is Muhammad baptizing someone uh, at our last worship night. So the million-dollar question that people ask about baptism, right? is do you have to? Do you have to do it to be saved? I mean, denominations split over this. People argue over this. People are interrupted at Starbucks about this. People talk about, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? Now, here's the thing about baptism, and here's the thing about our salvation. I used to answer this with the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in, in Acts chapter 8, which is a great story on baptism, right? A man accepting Christ as a savior and then immediately he gets baptized as he's leaving Jerusalem. Very, very good story. Here's the thing though, instead of just taking one story, let me tell you just kind of the pattern of what happens with people in the New Testament as they accept Christ as their savior. The first thing they do is they repent for their sins. There's all these different stories throughout the New Testament of when people realize who Jesus is, they show genuine remorse for what they've done wrong. Not only that, they take steps in their life to not do those things anymore. Genuine repentance, a desire to put yourself aside in order to be obedient to Jesus, okay? In that comes a true faith in Christ, not just believing that God is up there somewhere, but living a life that is completely dependent on Jesus. True faith, not just knowing that he's there, not just believing, but true faith that he is your savior. And then the next response all throughout the New Testament is people are baptized. I know there was the thief on the cross next to Jesus. I think his circumstances were a little bit different than yours and ours, right? I know that that was an exception, but the pattern in the New Testament is repentance, faith, baptism, that we see this, right? And so when someone accepts Jesus Christ, when you understand who he is, this is essentially the rhythm, the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Now that doesn't necessarily answer the question but here's how I want to present it back to you. When people say, Corey, do you have to do it to be saved? Listen, if we start to understand that the God of the universe came to earth in flesh and blood, lived as a poor man for 33 years, was violently beat and nailed to a hunk of wood for nine hours for us while we were sinners, and all we can do is look back at him and say, do I have to? There is a deeper heart issue with us. There is a problem at our core when we start to understand the grace of God and try to get away with the bare minimum. When we start to experience true life change from God, we approach God with humility and we approach God with obedience. And when we start asking how little we must do to please the Lord, we need to go back and we need to start over again. We need to go back and remember why we're Christians in the first place. So when people ask, do you have to do it to be saved? Two things. I'm not 100% sure if I know, and I'm 100% sure that I don't care. I don't care if you have to do it to be saved. Here's the thing about our walk with God. Here's the thing with any relationship we're in. If we're in any relationship to know what's the bare minimum we can do without fracturing the relationship, there's a problem. I just said that, right? If you have to ask, do I have to date my wife? Do we have to be intimate? whoa, we got a much bigger problem with your relationship. So whenever people ask, do I have to do it? I simply return it with, why in the world would you not want to? 
If Jesus came out of the water and God parted the skies and said, I am proud of him. Every time we are baptized, when we come out of that water, God looks down with all of heaven with him and says, we are proud of that woman. We are proud of that man. Even if you didn't have to do it, why would you not? It makes our creator smile. So that's my question to you today. If you are in here and you know who Jesus is and you know the grace that he has shown to all of us, we have clothes for you to change into. We have packets to give you with information. We have cards for you to fill out so we can keep in touch with you. The water is warm. We got towels. We got places for you to change. Everything is here. Everything is taken care of. It's convenient. My question is simply this. What stops you from taking this step? And I say this at every baptism service, and I'm not trying to be goofy. I have not baptized. We've baptized literally thousands of people in the last eight years, and I've never baptized one person who regretted it. Come up out of the water, and they're just like, eh. You know, I've never done that. <laughs> it is a life-changing event. It is a great event. It is a milestone in your life, and I give you my word, you will not regret it. And God will honor your obedience. He will honor it. Okay? Let me pray for you, and here's what I'm going to do after we pray. There's communion all the way around you, wherever you see a little lamp on a table, there's communion. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. You can take that. That represents the body and blood of Jesus who's died for you on the cross, and he has given us the opportunity through his grace and mercy to be saved, right? That's what that represents. If you are in here and you are a non-believer, you're just not into this yet, I hope you felt comfortable. I hope you felt welcomed, and I just hope that you will continue to come back and keep digging in and see what you find, okay? That's all I ask. If you are in here and you are a Christian, and you were either baptized at a time when you were disingenuous about it, or you were, uh, maybe you were, you were too young to remember it and you want to do it as an adult, or if you have never been baptized. Pray about it for a minute. And if you come up here to my left, there'll be a team of people and they'll get you all taken care of, right? And then we'll meet you over here and we'll baptize you, right? Okay, let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. Father, my prayer today, Lord, is that you just speak to people's hearts. God, if there's anyone in this room who is on the fence right now, I just pray that you gently convict them, that you gently persuade them and, and touch their heart, God. And Lord, let them know the significance and the importance of this decision. If there are people in this room who are Christians, they've been baptized, and maybe they have some unrepentant sin in their heart, I pray, God, that they will have the courage to ask you to forgive them of their sin and that they'll take communion and they'll remember, God, that even when we were sinners, you still died for us. If there are people in this room, Father, who are non-believers, I just pray that they have felt at home today, welcomed and invited and treated well. And I pray that they come back. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We trust you. You're so good to us, God. And I just thank you so much for all the people who are gonna choose to get baptized at the eleven. We thank you, God. Pray that you bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. I love you guys so much. You come right over here to the left if you need to get baptized.